Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Amen. I want to welcome everyone here. My name is Rick Thompson. I'm the pastor at Living Water Community Church, and one of the pastors. And I want to welcome those who are joining us online. I want to say happy Easter, happy Resurrection Day. Amen. We serve a risen Savior. Um, we were doing a campaign uh, to, to try to tie in the, the, the Easter Bunny with the the fact that the scripture says that all those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit has to say. And, and so if you're, if you're one of those who are here because someone invited you through that campaign, we want to welcome you this morning. If you're tuning in today, we want to welcome you because I, I do believe that the Holy Spirit has something to say. And so I pray that we would all open our ears to what the Spirit has to say this morning. Amen. We've been in a series that we've been calling to bless to be stressed, too blessed to be stressed. And it probably should have been called too blessed to stay stressed because guess what? We all have stress, right? I don't know anyone that doesn't have stress, whether you're dealing with financial issues or uh, medical issues or there's issues in your family, in the government, in the world, there's stress all around us. But the good news is that the, the, the Christian or the, the believer has, has the ability to deal with their stress in a different way than the world because we have a good shepherd, amen? amen? We have someone who's not abandoned us to our situation, our circumstance. We have someone who's, who the scripture literally says, yea, though you walk through the, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, amen? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And so we've been talking about blessings, and today's subtitle message is Blessings in Disguise. Blessings in disguise. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. It's a, it was a deliberate takeoff from that tagline coming from that old television movie series called dun da 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 Transformers. Remember that one? Robots in disguise, uh, more than meets the eye. And, and just to give you a brief synopsis, it, it's about an a, a alien race of so-called robots, the Autobots, which are the good guys, and the Decepticons, as you can probably tell by their name, Decepticons, they are probably the what? The bad guys. And they're at war with each other. Now, how does that tie into this message this morning? Well, they, they all have this ability to kind of shapeshift or to transform into other things. Like they'll go from a robot to a car to a truck or to a jet or a helicopter, even robots to animals and dinosaurs. Now, I remember uh, with my kids when this was popular, the, the, the toys would come out and they would transform from the robot to a, to, to a vehicle and my kids couldn't do it. And unfortunately, they would give it to me and guess what? I think you needed an engineering degree to get this thing to turn into whatever it was or to make it turn back. I really hated those toys. But hence the name Transformers, robots in disguise, more than meets the eye. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at our ability through the grace of God to realize the blessings that God has for us that may be in disguise. Blessings that God wants to give each and every one of us to transform us spiritually. Now, you might ask, transform you into what? No, not a truck or 
helicopter or dinosaur, but to transform you into the children of God he created you to be, to transform you into the likeness of his son. Now, as we saw last week, he wants us to walk in the resources of the blessings that the good shepherd has for all of us who belong to him. He doesn't want the stresses of this life to turn us into dust, but to keep us strong and become like diamonds, if you will. If you missed the last two uh, messages, go back on Facebook or YouTube and watch them again. And while you're there, subscribe, like, and share the message. Now, the question this morning is, how is it done? How, how does he transform us or take us, take us from, from what we are to what he wants us to be? And is it possible in light of the challenges that we all have in this life? So many people say, well, I can never change. Or, or old dogs, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. If, if the old dog dies, then the new dog can, can learn new things. Come on, somebody. I know you know what I'm talking about, but I'll explain it in just a moment. But the Bible is full of stories of ordinary people like you and I who face multiple adversities. Uh, every indication in many cases that things were, were going from bad to worse. I'm thinking, of, I'm thinking of Naomi in the Bible, in the book of Ruth. Remember her? Who, who left her hometown with her husband and her children. They got married only to find that, only to, to have the husband, her husband die and both her sons. But God didn't abandon her because she ended up in the lineage of Jesus himself through her, through her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And then there was Esther, who was, who at the beginning, you know, on its face, everything looked bad because they were trying to not just wipe her out, but to wipe out her, her entire uh, family, not just her family, but all the Jews at the time. There was going to be a slaughter. But God didn't abandon her, and she saw the hand of God move. Amen? Of course, there's Elijah and and, and, and in the Bible, and even Paul and Silas, who, after doing a great thing, got in prison, but God didn't leave them in prison. The whole place shook, and they were freed, and people even got saved. All of their tragedies turned to triumphs. All their trials turned into testimonies. All their bad times were blessings in disguise. But the truth is, in the midst of those troubles, it, I know it's hard to see a blessing. It's when, when you're going through something, in the middle of something, it's hard to see what God is doing, but they managed to do it. And on top of that list, we, we find Jesus himself. Now, we know that Jesus was an innocent man, condemned to die a cruel death at the hands of the Roman soldiers on an old, rugged cross. Probably the most painful way the Romans ever thought of, of killing and humiliating of killing someone, literally beaten and stripped and hung up for the world to see. And on its face, it would result, you would think, that, that it was a, a major tragedy that had taken place. But the end result, as we all know, turned into great, the, the greatest triumph of all time. I'm speaking about blessings in disguise. I read a story told by Dear Abby in response to someone's question. This is what she said. She said, a young man from a wealthy family was about to graduate from high school, and it was the custom in that affluent neighborhood for the parents to give the graduate an automobile. David, which was his name, and his father had spent months looking at cars, and the week before graduation, they found the perfect car. 
And on the eve of his graduation, his father handed him a wrapped gift. And when he opened it, it was a Bible with his name on it. Well, David was expecting a car. He wasn't expecting a Bible. And so he got so angry that he threw it down. He stormed out of the house. And he didn't tell his father where he went. And he and his father, from that day on, never saw each other again. It was the news of his father's death that brought David home. And as he sat one night going through his father's possessions that he was now going to inherit, he comes across the Bible that his father had given him. He brushed away the years of dust. He opened it up. And in the middle of that Bible, he found a cashier's check dated the date of his graduation in the exact amount of the car that he had chosen together. Now, how many of you know that David missed out on some things? Least of which was the stupid car. But most importantly, he missed out on his relationship with his father, all because he didn't recognize the blessing that was in disguise. And as I thought about this story, I couldn't help but wonder how many people in this world have done the same thing to our Heavenly Father, literally tossing aside his word and the blessings and the promises that are in there simply because they don't understand it, they may not agree with it at the time, or they don't believe that it's possible. Jesus said, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. And this morning, I want you to open up those spiritual ears and, uh, and to think about the transformative blessings of, of the promises that are surrounding Easter. There are three of them that I want to point out this morning. Everyone should have an outline. If you don't have one, raise your hand. Let's get one to you. Those who are following online, you can follow along digitally. We have these new fancy things now where you can just scan and it will open up for you if you have those fancy phones. If you have a dumb phone, it's not going to work. <laughs> but there are three of them. And each promise is marked by something that at first glance appears to be an empty tragedy. And if you misread them, you're going to walk away in ignorance like David did from the blessings that God, your heavenly father, has for you. I want you to turn to someone and say, don't walk away. Don't walk away. All of these blessings surround the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is told in the Gospels. And so on this Easter Sunday, can we just re-familiarize ourselves with the text and the events of that day? Luke chapter 23, verse 44. It says, it was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. And the centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. And when all the people who had gathered to witness the sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. And now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to this, their decision and action. 
He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. And so going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. And then he took it down, and he wrapped it in linen cloth, and he placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. And it was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. And the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and, he saw, and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. And then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the command. On the first day of the next week, of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And when they, while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. And it was Mary, Magdalene, Joanna, uh, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they didn't believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and he ran to the tomb and bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. And so again, in this account, we're going to find three blessings, blessings in disguise, if you will, that I want us to look at this morning. All three of them appears on his face as no more than empty promises. But it's the very fact that they're empty that reveals the blessings that God has for all of us. Now think about it. On that first Easter Sunday, it's early morning, dawn, the Bible says, but the sun hasn't fully risen yet. And so according to the text, a few of Jesus' followers, women, are on their way to the tomb where Jesus was buried. And they're walking now for about a half hour, and, they, and you can imagine that the conversation is subdued at this point because of the task before them. It's a sad one. They're going to anoint the body of Jesus. And I can imagine that as they come to the top of the rise of the path, they all stop, motionless and quiet, and they stare off into the distance. And I want to invite you this morning to take a look with them because as they looked off, just off to the right, just outside the city, they stood this gruesome reminder of the events that transpired just a few days before. What they see, they saw silhouetted by the glow of the pink sky on top of the hill, the locals called the skull, were the three crosses. And they were still there. Because the day before was the Sabbath, and according to Jewish custom, no one was allowed to work on the Sabbath. And so the crosses would have still been there. So they stood. So there they stood, an empty reminder of what happened on Friday. We call it Good Friday, but I promise you, on that day, no one called what was happening good. Now, it's the one in the middle. That's the one I want you to see this morning. That's the one where Jesus hung on. 
And if you could take a closer look at that one toward the top, you're going to see blood stains from the crown of thorns that were crushed on Jesus' skull. You'd also see the stains at the ends of the crossbars that, that came from the nails that were driven into his hands. And the main beam, the main beam, it would have been soaked in blood as well from the wounds on his back, from the beatings, from the cat of nine tails that the Romans delivered to him leading up to the crucifixion. And it would have also been blood stained from where the Roman soldier uh, uh, stabbed him in the side with the spear and, the, and his blood poured out just to see if he was dead. Now, folks, in that moment, they knew he was dead. He was dead. Listen to me this morning. Don't ever believe anyone who tells you that Jesus was faking it. He was just unconscious. There's no question that he died that day. His followers knew it. The crowd who beat their breast knew it. The soldier who drove his, his, his thing into the side, the spear into the side, knew it. And the Jewish leaders knew it. But the Bible says that after the resurrection, they concocted a story that somehow the, the, the disciples stole the body. Now, can you imagine 11 disciples sending three, three ladies to overpower a company of Roman soldiers and then on top of that to move a two-ton stone stealing the body of Jesus just to claim that he'd come back to life? And then after that, we know that all of the disciples were willing to die to protect a lie? I mean, I can understand dying to protect the truth, but I don't know anybody that's going to go to their grave to die to protect a lie. So we know that Jesus really died. And this is what I want you to see on the cross this morning. It's a place where he died, but today it's empty. It's empty of his body, but it's full of God's promises. Amen? Full of his promises. Because it was on that cross that Jesus paid the penalty, not for his sins. He had none. He paid the penalty for all of our sins in full. Now, regarding sin, this is what the Bible says. It makes it very clear. The prophet Ezekiel said in 1820, he said, the soul who sins shall die. And then it tells us who he's describing in terms of the soul that sins. Romans 3.23, read it out loud with me. One, two, three, go. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now when the Bible says everyone, do you think it means everyone? Does it include you? Does it include me? Everyone is everyone. And then he goes on to tell us what we all deserve for the sin that's in our lives and what God offers in exchange. In Romans 6, 23, he says, for the wages of sin is what? For the wages of sin is death. That's what we all deserve. Spiritual separation, eternal separation from the Father. And if it ended there, it would be tragic. 
But the good news of the gospel is that second part. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life. Where? In Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, on that cross, Jesus paid it all as a show of the Father's love toward every single one of us. And I love Romans 5, 8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does that mean? It means that God didn't wait for you and I to get our act together before we come to church. Someone said to me one day, Pastor Rick, I don't know if I can come to your church. And I said, why? Because I'm afraid that the wall, the ceiling might fall in. And that God would do that? He said, yes. I said, listen, my friend. If God was inclined to collapse the ceiling, he knows where you live. (laughs) He's not going to wait for you to come to this church. But the good news is that God doesn't wait for us to get our act together before he invites us in. It says, while we were still sinners, while we were still lawless, someone might say, well, what laws? I haven't broken any laws. Well, have you always put God first? Come on, somebody. Have you always done the right thing before the Father? Has anyone ever told a lie, even if it's a small one? What do you call people who tell lies? Jesus said to look on a woman with lust in your heart is to commit adultery with them. Have you always honored your father and your mother? My mom is here today. She knows that's not true for me. (laughs) So the Bible says we're all lawbreakers. We're all sinners. And we are all in need of a savior. And again, who does it say died for us? Was it Moses or Abraham or Isaiah or Mohammed or Buddha? Who was it that died for us? Someone say Jesus. Come on, somebody. And this is why the Bible tells us that there's no other name given under heaven by which we can be saved. And so the first blessing in disguise, the tragedy turned triumph that I want us all to look at, I want you to fill out your first filling, the empty cross. It's the empty cross, and it represents forgiveness of our sins. It means Jesus purchased our salvation by taking the punishment for our sins on himself. And a great exchange took place. He didn't give us what we deserved, for the wages of sin is death. But he gave us what we needed. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Now, it doesn't stop there. Let's get back to the ladies. After pausing briefly to view the cross, they continue on their way down the path to the tomb. And as they go, one of them wonders aloud, who will move the stone for us? And they have good reason to be concerned because the stone that was placed in front of the tomb was a large boulder, probably weighing, they said, upwards of two tons. And not only that, the Romans had sealed it so that no one was allowed to move it upon penalty of death. If you broke that seal, you could die. So who was going to do it? Now listen to me. 
How many of you know that in most cases, God doesn't need our permission to do things? Amen? There's not an obstacle he can't move or go over or under or around or, th or through. In fact, I can only think of one condition that he needs our permission to do anything. You want to hear what it is? You have to wait till the end of the service. <laughs> but in Matthew's gospel, it talks about a violent earthquake happening just at around the time as the ladies were approaching the tomb. Matthew 28, verse 1, early on Sunday morning as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it, and his face shone like lightning, and his clothing was, a, a, was as white as snow, and the guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. And so as they're walking up, I can imagine that the ladies, as soon as the earthquake hit, they were frightened. Has anyone ever been in an earthquake? Our one experience, my wife and I were at a place called Lover, Lover's Key on the West Coast. Great weekend, uh, having a great time. And at some point, we were on the, what, the 12th floor, the top floor, the very top floor, and all of a sudden, the building went like that. And the, we saw the, the drapes sway. And I looked at her and she looked at me. I said, did, did this building just move? <laughs> she said, it sure did. And so I get on the phone. I called down to the lobby. I said, listen, something going on with the building? We felt the building move. <laughs> no, sir, everything's fine. Everything, no, nothing, nothing. Click. Turned to her, turned to me. We said, time to go. Because <laughs> I've never been in a 12-story huge building where I felt a shake. Something is wrong with this building. We packed our stuff. We started going down. We got in that elevator. Lord, please help us. We get to the lobby. As we're walking out to check out, the lady said, oh, sir, you were correct. I said, what were we correct about? He said, there was a 6.9 earthquake out in the Gulf, and that's what you felt in the building. I said, your building shook. We're still leaving. <laughs> and so I can imagine they were frightened. And they look at each other, not certain what to do. And after a few minutes, they continue on their way. And as they approach the burial site, they, they're still wondering about what happened when they come upon something even more remarkable. The soldiers, the soldiers that were outside the tomb, they're all laid out. They're unconscious. And that big old stone, they don't have to worry about it because the stone was rolled away. And upon going into the tomb, they find it empty. And Luke's gospel says that there were two angels appeared glowing like lightning, and they asked them, why seek ye the living among the dead? You, you are looking for Jesus? He is not here. He is risen just like he said he would. Let, let me tell you about another story I heard about a little kid named Philip. Philip felt like Never felt like he belonged. He was pleasant enough, but he looked a, a bit different, a little frail. 
sometimes seemed unusual to his eight-year-old classmates. He just didn't fit in. And in the Sunday school class several weeks before Easter, Philip's teacher introduced a special project. She gave every member a plastic egg. And she explained that each child was to go outside, find a symbol of new life, and put it into the egg. And so enthusiastically, the class responded. And back in the classroom, the eggs were open one at a time, with each child explaining the meaning of, of his symbol. The first egg was a, in the egg was a pretty flower. And in the next one, there was a, a beautiful butterfly. And, and another one had a green grass in, in the third one. And the children oohed and ah, that's awesome. In another one, there was, a, there was a, a rock. People just laughed. And finally, that last egg that was open, when they opened it, there was nothing inside. Someone said, that's stupid. Another grumbled, someone didn't do it right. And the teacher felt this tug on his shirt. And it was Philip who said, that's mine, and I did do it right. It's empty. Because the tomb was empty. Come on, somebody. Now, there was this unusual, thoughtful silence, and strangely, from that time on, Philip was more accepted as part of the group. And as time went on, Philip continued to struggle with many physical problems. And that summer, he picked up an infection which most children would easily have shaken off, but Philip's weak body couldn't, couldn't do it. And a few weeks later, he died. And at the funeral, nine eight-year-olds with their teacher brought the symbol of remembrance and placed it near his coffin. And their unusual gift of love to Philip wasn't flowers or butterflies or grass. You guessed it. It was an empty egg. Now a symbol to them of new life and hope. Now listen to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 20. It says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The message says it this way, but the truth is that Christ has been raised up, the first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. Listen to me this morning. Jesus, the Bible says, was the first of many fruits to rise from the dead. But if you place your faith and trust in him, he's not the last one to rise from the dead. Amen? Because you and I and all believers in the world and those who have died before us, if, 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 if the Lord should tarry and we go to our grave, the Bible says at some point as well, we will all rise with him. And so the blessings in the skies of the empty cross represents forgiveness of sin, but the empty tomb represents a resurrected Christ and eternal life for all of us. Write that down. A resurrected Christ and eternal life for all of us. Now I'm reminded that Paul said in this life we're going to face some things, and the, and the things that he faced, he called them where's my brother Seth? He called them momentary light afflictions. Didn't he say that? And all these problems that he was having, he was stoned, he was beaten, he was left for dead. But he says, I'm convinced that all of this is momentary light afflictions compared to the goodness 
and the grace of God and what God has prepared for every single one of us who believe in him in eternal life. Folks, we are truly too blessed to stay stressed. Amen? But it doesn't end there. There's one more transformative promise that I want you to know about this Easter before we come to a close. And it's the promise of the empty burial close. Back to the story. After the angel had spoken to the women, they immediately went back to the apostles and reported what had happened. And with this incredible news, one account says Peter and John raced back to the tomb to see for themselves. And when they got there, John stopped just outside the tomb, but Peter ran right in. And it didn't take them long to discover that the tomb was just the way the women had said it was, empty. But that's not all. Inside, Peter found the clothes that Jesus had been buried in. They, too, were empty. Now, folks, what does that mean? It can only mean one thing, that Jesus was alive. Because if someone had stolen his body, they wouldn't have removed the burial clothes and folded them up neatly and left them there. It meant that we're we're looking at a, 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 a truly resurrected Jesus. And the Bible says it wouldn't be long before Jesus himself would appear to Mary Magdalene as a resurrected Christ, to all the apostles, and to eventually to 500 other witnesses. And it documents that he walked with them and he talked with them and he ate with them and he fellowshiped with them. And so here's your third filling. The empty burial clothes represents the old things passing away and a new walk with Christ. Ephesians 4.22 says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what? You've become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. If you belong to Christ, you've become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. And all of this, he says, is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Folks, God did an amazing thing. That what, the moment we put out faith and trust in him, just like he left that grave and he left those, those old grave clothes behind through his Holy Spirit, by the blood of Jesus, we have the ability to leave our old grave clothes behind us. Amen? to walk in the newness of life. We don't have to keep falling back into those same old sinful patterns that keep pulling us down and dragging us down. The Bible says, consider those things dead and to walk in the newness of life. Amen? And he didn't just do it all to rise from the dead to just hang out somewhere in heaven. We serve a risen Savior. He said, my sheep know my voice, and they listen to me. Are you listening to the voice of the shepherd? 
He's still speaking today, as we learned last week. And with that, he wants a personal relationship with each and every one of us, just as he had with his disciples and his followers 2,000 years ago. He's still alive, he's still sitting on his throne, and he's still interceding for his saints, and he still wants a relationship with, with his children. And with that, he's given us a purpose and a mission and a mandate to not just to sit or to come once or twice a year, but to take up the mantle and to serve, to spread the good news about him to all those who would listen. Now, admittedly, on the surface, all of these things look like tragedies. The cross, the tomb, and the burial clothes. But we know that they're all blessings in disguise, that the empty cross brought forgiveness for every single one of us, every single one who will put their trust in him. The, 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 the empty tomb represents a new and eternal life for all those that he's the first of those, first of fruits, but he's not the last. If you trust in him, he rose, we shall rise as well. And the empty clothes brings a new fellowship with the Lord that means to walk away from that old grave clothes and to walk in the newness and the purposes of, of the Lord. Bible says, if you follow hard after the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Amen? Now, I said earlier, there's only one thing that God has, has to get our permission to do, and I promised I was going to share it at the end of the service. The one thing that God will not force us to do, he's not going to force us to walk in the blessings and the forgiveness that he's provided. It's for you and I that once the Holy Spirit starts to minister to your heart to, and to resonate that the things that are being said are true, that's what happened to me many years ago. Never heard the gospel. Once the gospel was presented, I thought I heard it for the first time. Raised in the Catholic Church, and never heard the gospel. Went to a Christian camp, went and to a different church, and I heard the gospel presented for the first time. And in that moment, the Spirit says, this is true. As the Lord speaks to your heart the truth of what's being said here, understand that all of it, all of it, when Jesus said it was finished, all of it was with you in mind because he wants a personal relationship with you. But he will not force his way in on anyone. And so we have a dance this morning. It's called Worthy is the Lamb. And after this dance, I'm going to give everyone an opportunity. If you've not yet accepted Christ as your Savior and your Lord, to do so today. Upon identifying Jesus, they said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Just, and just a reminder, Jesus went to that cruel cross not for his own sins. He had none. He went to the cross to pay the penalty for my sins and your sins and the sins of the world. And so with that, 
it would be my privilege and my honor if you've not yet asked Christ to be your Savior and your Lord. It's not hard. You put your faith in him. You turn from doing things your own way, and you trust completely in him for the salvation of your soul, and, and you make a commitment to follow him. It's not that hard. And so if you've not yet done that, I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and to close their eyes. And to say something like this from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I humbly bow my head to you today. I acknowledge the truth that I have sinned. And I realize that I have fallen short. And I understand what the wages are for those sins. But I thank you for the free gift of God that you've provided through your son to pay the penalty for my sins. And that even on its face it looked like a tragedy, but it turned into the greatest triumph of all. Today, I put my trust completely in you. Say, I trust you, Lord. Forgive me. Come into my life. Come into my heart. From this day forward, I follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.